Hey everyone, welcome to the War Podcast of Oz. This is Jared Davis with John Troutman here. How are you doing, John? I am doing bueno. Alright. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard of John, which might be a few. Which makes me sad. Yes, it makes us both very sad. <laughs> uh, he is a web... How exactly would you say it? Oh, uh, we refer to ourselves as webcomic artists. Okay. Cartoonists, yeah. That's what I was thinking, but I wasn't exactly sure that was the proper term. Yeah, well, there's a there's a group of web cartoonists that are trying to rebel against the webcomic label. Like, we're all just comics. It doesn't matter if we're online or in print. I'm like, no, we draw webcomics. They're on the internet. It's what we do. Oh, okay. Uh, and he's recently had the opportunity to illustrate uh, an Oz book. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Yeah, I believe you did that in exchange for some Oz books, actually. Yeah, it's, I'm okay with getting paid with books. That's what I waste my money on anyway. Yeah, bit more direct. <laughs> okay, so... Would you mind saying just a little bit about, uh, a bit more about who you are since, well, this is probably <laughs> the first, uh, real interest Osfolk have shown in <laughs> Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was, uh, born, or not born, I was raised in Phoenix, Arizona. I, uh, have been drawing since forever and writing since almost as long. So at some point I decided to combine the two and just do comics, uh, Late in high school, I started to draw uh, web comics. I just drew things in class and posted them online, and that was like 12 years ago. And so since then, I've just been drawing comics on the internet pretty much nonstop, like just thousands of strips just floating around in the other. And uh, specific to this particular podcast, um, I've been uh, not so much obsessed with Oz, but I've really, you know, I've loved the series since I was like in third grade or so when I got a like a box set of all the Del Rey paperbacks of the original 14. Ooh. <laughs> Those are lovely. They were. I mean, uh, nowadays I can see where the uh, print quality may have left something to be desired because the, the pictures are actually the, seems like the ink line work is like really thick and kind of blobby on them, but they, but they get the job done and those things are thrashed now. I mean, they still have them and they're like colored in with crayon and, torn at the edges and yellowed and they were well-loved books <laughs> but is that how you got interested in oz or had you like seen the movie before um well and... i the movie yeah i mean uh the movie i can't remember ever not having around is a it was like my default film like whenever i got sick at school i'd go home and watch the wizard of oz but i mean i didn't know there was anything beyond that movie until my grandfather gave me those books yeah you strip delusionary state which well is when you work on occasionally yeah, uh, it's, it's a it's a whenever i've got the free time kind of strip <laughs> yeah well it's fun uh how do we put this <laughs> um you explore some of the borderland slash expanded universe of bombs work as well how do you yeah. find out about those well it's basically uh I mean, it was just, I didn't really start exploring Bomb outside of Oz until just a, a few years ago. And uh, I discovered that while I didn't necessarily like them all, per se, as literature, I mean, so, 
I've made no secret of the fact that I think books like Dot and Todd are just terrible. <laughs> but uh, but I found this the idea of this uh, whole other world connected to each other very fascinating to me. And so I originally started a delusionary state where they just went straight to Oz and did stuff. And it didn't work for me because I think the, the journey to Oz is almost more important than being in Oz. So I decided to uh, plot out a logical route through the Outer Lands before they could finally, you know, get the reward, so to speak, by actually being in Oz. Okay, so they actually did another version of the strip, which, is that still available somewhere, or have you, like, hidden away? (laughs) Uh, It's online. I prefer not people not to see it. I did kind of hide it, (laughs) like, because... uh, I mean, I almost consider I consider it like a rough draft. You know, when you're writing a book, you know, you do a rough draft and you go back and revise. And in web comics, that doesn't always work. I mean, you generally, usually sometimes on a schedule. So you think of something, you put it online like almost instantly. And that's what happened with the original iteration of that comic. And once I got to the end of it, I'm like, wow, this is sort of interesting. And I like the characters, but there is so much I could do better and change if I started it over again. So I did, I consider that almost the, a rough draft of a book and I kind of hid it away and people want to find it. I, they can look really hard and maybe discover it, but I don't like to, to. <laughs> and, but so I just took ideas from that. You know, I consider it a rough draft. I took ideas from that and incorporated it into the new version, which is already better, even though it's much shorter. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I kind of up on that. And I was like, Oh, this is pretty fun. I had the Demon of Electricity there from the Master Key, and then you had them actually visit, uh, actually get to Maryland. But uh... yeah, it's 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 taken some time because I've got other projects that just I have to prioritize, and there are particular projects that I've committed to like a daily schedule on. So I have to fit other things I want to do in the cracks, and unfortunately, Delusionary State is the cracks, so to speak. Yeah. Well, it, it it's something new, fun to keep in the RSS feed, and when there's something new, you're like, oh, yeah. It's, out. If it pops up, it's a little, it's a little surprise, a little Christmas present. <laughs> yeah. Um, I went back and read through your entire comic strip, strip lit break, and that was incredible. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Just, uh, I mean, I got my degree in English and. I wasn't really doing anything with it, so I said, hey, why not, you know, a comic strip about all the crazy, terrible things I read while I was getting my degree? And uh, there was a very small but devout following of lit majors that were behind me on that one. So for a year and a half, just daily comics about obscure books. <laughs> yeah, there, was, there was some really good ones in there. Uh, like that. Well, thank you. That one in about uh, Serenity Vashtar, the... Yes, Redney Vastar is one of my that was one of my favorites and that was one of those books that was suggested to me by a reader where he's like, You should draw a comic about Sredney Vastar. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> Crazy yeah. ferret that eats people, I'm down with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just saw that strip looked at I'm like, Okay, I need to read this story. <laughs> that's the that is the kind of uh that's almost like the kind of character like I want to try to maybe carry over into some other project like uh Maybe like in the illusionary state somewhere on their trip, they encounter the man-eating ferret just because. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that would be awesome. 
which you also have some other comics, which you recently started a new one called uh, Mary Elizabeth Sock. <laughs> wow, that that's title sounds really silly when you say it out loud. I don't think I've ever done it before. <laughs> well, there you go. That's, uh, yeah, that's basically that's a project to start with. Liprick was, you know, it wasn't finding the success I had hoped it would, but it had a dedicated following but wasn't growing, so I kind of had to cut the line and start something new. So, yeah, Mary Elizabeth Sock is an attempt to uh, relaunch a lot of characters I've used in the past in a new setting, new scenario. It's a more uh, story-based, almost like a romantic comedy, honestly, but everyone's insane. Uh, And I just launched that this week, and I'm hoping I can pick up a... It'll appeal to more of a general audience than my previous very niche-based comics did. Yeah. I mean, you had one called Sporkman. Uh, yeah, I've been drawing random Sporkman comics since, like, seventh grade. He'll never go away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the comic I, re- I originally started. That's how I got started in web comics was drawing Sporkman. And uh, all the way back in January 2000, I started a Sporkman comic and. That's what kind of got my foot in the door, so to speak, of our crazy money pit of a business. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, uh, yeah, Sporkman, those are, like, if you think I'm hiding delusionary state, like, I've buried the original Sporkman in, like, a box and buried it in the backyard and poured cement over it and <laughs> set traps around it so no one finds it. Yike. Those are comics I really don't want people to read. <laughs> and uh, like we said at the beginning, you recently got to illustrate an Oz book, which I kind of had a hand in writing. Uh, <laughs> maybe I should mention was that, uh, that full disclosure. Yeah, um, I, it, my name is like on the second uh, second. I'm like, uh, can we actually put my name on third? Because I don't feel like I'm putting a lot in here. And, <laughs> They're like, no. Well, uh, the thing is, I guess I gave him the idea for it. Uh, It's okay for our listeners. It's World Explorers of Oz, first volume, uh, the Voyage of the Crescent Moon, uh, where uh, Marcus had asked me to write this story for Oziana, and I wrote about uh, Prince uh, Bobo coming to. going to Queen Zixia Vix's birthday party, except she's not calling it that. <laughs> right, which is a story I loved, by the way, because uh, that's uh, actually, I mean, X is one of my favorite Bomb books, so I was, like, really pleased to see someone revisit that on some level. Yeah, uh, and so I was so I was like, well, why is uh, Bobo there? And, well, he's trying to reestablish contact with other nations after spending years as a goat. <laughs> So, uh, Marcus liked that idea and decided to start running with it. And he's like, hey, what if we turn this into an entire book? And I'm like, <laughs> okay. And he's like, yeah, can we use this story? I'm like, I guess. Knock, knock yourself out there, slugger. Uh, so, um, he later asked me to do, like, rewrite son. I actually rewrote all the chapter around my story. And that a little bit later and made a few suggestions, but that was it. <laughs> yeah, the uh, it was very strange. I was just uh, Marcus just asked me out of the blue, like if uh, 
instead I was going to pay him for some books. And instead he's like, how about uh, instead of you paying me for the books, you just draw me stuff. And I was like, that's even better because <laughs> I'm going to draw stuff anyway. So, uh, but that's another, it's a similar situation where you're like, you would kind of wanted your name to be third on the list. It's like, I was almost kind of embarrassed when the book showed up and I had almost like, if you open up the cover page, it just says illustrated by John Troutman. And I'm like, I think statistically I actually have less illustrations in there than the other guy. <laughs> yeah. uh. So you're like, uh, why am I not second? I know. It's like, well, why did I, why did I not get the, why did I get the main credit there? Which I, I mean, it's cool. And I really enjoyed drawing it, but it was very strange. Yeah. And we're, and apparently we're, we're working on book two now. And I'm like, what do I add to this? I cannot <laughs> justify putting my name on it. Yeah, those are the kind, that's the kind of uh, I haven't even attempted to read the rough drafts of that yet. Just I refuse to draw anything unless I have like a near final product because you don't want to draw a picture based on something and then have that something like rewritten or excised entirely. So I'm yeah. waiting patiently for uh for final copies of two and three so I can draw them too. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I will finally convince Marcus to move my name down to number three on this. <laughs> <sighs> So, yeah, you said it was weird that you actually got to illustrate in Hasbrook and open up your name on there. It was exceedingly strange. I mean, it's this, uh, obviously, I mean, there's so many Oz books that get written now, so it's not like a, it's not like official or anything, but it still felt really cool to be illustrating that world in a published form somehow. Yeah. Uh, whew. Yeah, my first solo Oz book. I say solo. I had an editor kicking my butt all the way. But, <laughs> uh, I'm waiting for that one to get illustrated because to be finished illustrated because, yeah, I also waited to give the illustrator my final draft. So, yeah, we were talking about that. I was like, oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Been off for a while, but I think he's working on the final batch now. So, well, mm. you know, a lot of times, especially with projects like this, they're uh, they're the kind of projects that most illustrators just kind of have to squeeze into their free time. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, it's you're okay. It's okay to yell at them every now and then, like, "Hey, you uh, you're still working on this? It's mm. been a while." But uh, but usually, uh, we just kind of like to be left alone, and eventually, like, uh, just a little presence will show up in your email box, like, "Hey, I finally drew this." Yay! <laughs> yeah. It also works a lot better if you give us a hard deadline. Like your illustrator, if you're like, I need these by June 16th so I can make this print date, you know? They'll actually be far more motivated to get things done. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I didn't have that. Well, <laughs> oh well, he's doing good. <laughs> yeah, but what basically happens is that if you give us, if you don't give us a deadline, then we're like, okay, well, I'll do this later. And something else came up, and we're like, well, I have to get this done now. I can put that other project off for later because it doesn't have a deadline. So, And then it just keeps getting pushed back as other things appear in front of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you also have a rather interesting sense of humor I noticed through reading the brick. I like to consider myself quirky. Yeah. Like, uh, see Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I was I, like... Uh, <laughs> I have uh, yeah no reverence for really anything. Just whatever's funny, I'll put down. At uh, I try not to get too obscene, but uh, 
a lot of times, and especially in Litbrick, the truly bizarre jokes and some of the almost filthiest ones, honestly, but were pulled almost directly out of literature. I mean, if you ever actually read the Canterbury Tales, Chaucer is filthy. It's a dirty, dirty book. I didn't have to do a whole lot. And likewise with the with the she Jesus, I mean, there were some books I was reading that specifically referred to Jesus as being a mother and being she. So it's like that would be awesome if Jesus was a chick. So many more people would be into that. <laughs> and then there was like throughout Lick Break, all these only time traveling celebrities. Just uh yeah, I mean there'd be certain cases, you know, where you want your random main characters to interact with some historical guys so you're like all right final just beam back to the historical guy i don't have to explain it it just is <laughs> yeah you just say go away billy time traveling uh wine sequest <laughs> it's just it's that strip was literally the first things that would pop into my head so i'd be you know reading a story and just there'd be a song cue and it'd be like oh okay well there's that's where a random Billy Joel song would appear. But why would some guy in the Middle Ages know a Billy Joel song? I don't know. Maybe Billy Joel has a time machine. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> and yeah, I noticed that you had like Wonder City of Oz and a couple bomb stories in there. Yeah, every once in a while I had to... Uh, even then I made it fairly clear that Bomb was one of my favorite authors. Because, I mean, I never got request. I mean, I opened up for requests a lot, and no one ever requested those strips. That was almost just, uh, those were for funsies, where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to randomly draw a strip about Bomb. So for the Christmas, when I was doing a whole bunch of Christmas-themed stories, I busted out the Kidnap Santa Claus, which I love. It's just a crazy little story, because it is essentially the demons just want to drum up tourism. It's like, they're like, man, no one's coming to our awesome mountain anymore. How can we get kids to be evil again? And that's just the kind of just kind of twisted concept that lends itself to that particular comic really well. And I did a Wonder City strip because I love that book. It is so bad, but I love it because it is crazy. <laughs> and it is just so out there. I mean, technically, as a story, it doesn't really hang together. But, uh, I mean, some of the concepts are so out there. I mean, just... Uh, it technically, uh, if nothing else, it's much more inventive than a lot of the later Oz books were around it. I mean, you have generic, you know, young person comes to Oz, has an adventure with generic Oz character, and saves the day. And possibly someone's disenchanted. But in Wonder City of Oz, you actually have a young woman. I mean, Jenny Jump is like... I always picture she's at least a late teenager, might be in her early 20s, when she ends up in Oz and She's uh, she's not a good little person at all, and uh, she's awesome for it. <laughs> she's not going on. She's not going on any grand adventure. She's just trying to be an entrepreneur, opening a business, and I don't know. I love that stuff. It's just so off the beaten path that I cannot help but love that book more than so many other ones that are technically better. <laughs> yeah, I recently went through for my blog and went through all the Oz books, which took way too long time. <laughs> And got to Wonder City of Oz and pretty much placed all of Neil's books from the... Uh, have you heard about the Runaway in Oz, that book? Yeah, I've got Runaway. I've got a copy. And it's actually, it is 
clearly Neil's best book because I'm pretty sure Eric Shanhauer ghost wrote like half of it. <laughs> yeah, well, well, in our last podcast, Eric Shanhauer actually <laughs> talked about it. And <laughs> yeah, it turns out he did do quite a bit of writing there. Yeah, and now in the past, he's kind of like hedged his bets where it's like, I just edited a few things here and there to make some sense. But like, no, that book is far too good to be from the same as author entirely. Like, yeah. it's clear that he wrote like entire things. <laughs> Well, when you're working with that, well, yeah. yeah I thought that was really what Neil needed yeah, back you know, in his time. Honestly, that's, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing that he he should have had back then. Is he should have had a strong editor like Shan Howard. They'd be like, no, this doesn't work. You have to fix that. But he never had anyone fixing it for him. <laughs> Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that editors do that a lot, where they're like, this doesn't work, you need to fix it, and if you don't fix it, we'll do it for you. And unfortunately, they tried that at Wonder City, and they were really bad at it, but usually a good editor will <laughs> tell you how to fix it right. Yeah. And then, after Wonder City, Neil tried Scalawag and said, oh my god! Oh, that's just boring to send, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not terrible, it's just boring. <laughs> Although I do like the ideas of sentient cars. I, I, if it was in the public domain, I'd try to figure out a way to work scallywagons into my own work, just because I think as a concept, they're funny. Let me just tell you, no one in the Oz world really likes them. Oh, I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, scallywagons and Lucky Bucky, I mean, I can I can flush down the toilet, but I I really love Runaway, and uh, I love Wonder City, even though it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah. He had some good characters, some really good ideas, but... When yeah. it came to actually writing him out, no. <laughs> his writing skills, just his prose, yeah. He was not up to snuff in just actually writing, but yeah, it happens. <laughs> can't, fault, uh, can't fault the art, though. The pictures are pretty. <laughs> and yeah, Jay Jump's a great character, so is number nine. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost sad in a way that uh, I've read like all of Neil and all of Snow, but I've only read like half of Thompson's books and none of the other later ones. <laughs> Oh, Jack Snow was awesome. <laughs> it's like it's like I skipped to the the mediocre books and went over all the other ones. But uh, <laughs> actually, I do uh, I do love the uh, the Snow books on some level. It's like uh, I really did the Magical Men books. I think I'm going to steal them because I know they're in the public domain. They would be great to work with them. Yeah, they 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 fit into my mold. Where I like everyone in Oz that's a jerk. Like so many people in Oz are like, I love you. Let's be happy. I let nothing bad will ever happen to us because we are great. And then some jerk shows up. He's like, Hey, I live on a mountain where things suck. Uh, like, why can't we have some of the love? Yeah, Oz is kind not exactly the most perfect fairyland, really. So yeah, well, it's a uh, my problem with Oz is that it seemed to have gotten. Uh, more and more utopian as time went on where i mean early in the books i mean the first if you go through the first books i mean there's some darkness i mean i'm not just talking about you know they're not being death because i mean obviously i think introducing uh the concept of immortality sort of killed a lot of the dramatic tension in those books but i mean this the way that at the end of every single book the status quo was completely reset whereas if you were in those first two books things were completely turned end over end i mean uh like at the end of land of oz you know they have a new ruler entirely governments change overnight and then a couple books later at the end of the book everything's exactly the same as it was at the beginning of the book and so on some level it just things become stagnant and so i like when there's just 
some truly insane element or comes along to really mix things up. I mean, that's like how well, I like Wonder City for for better or worse. It severely changed the status quo for a while, at least in Oz. I like when things get shook up a bit. That's more fun. Yeah. The problem is that trying to mess with the status quo of Oz now is that there's people who love it and pretty oh. much if you want to write a story and have people say, oh, this kind of, this could consider who be having with mine. So, the more fun, when yeah. I actually sat down with my Oz book, I was like, I'll just have most of this take place outside of Oz, so. So you don't actively I, ruin anything, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the, uh, that's the problem is because with Oz, and I mean, I like to do it too, so I get it, but that everyone tries to insert it into one giant canon that doesn't entirely make sense, but mostly makes sense. Like, even like every story in Oziana and every scrap that any one of the authors ever wrote all exist in one giant shared universe. And so, if you write in your own work, you don't want to upset that status quo because it won't fit. But at the same time, if you don't upset that status quo, you could end up with a very just a dull story that has no dramatic tension whatsoever because the reader knows that your characters are going to turn out fine because obviously, you know, Dorothy's never going to go anywhere and nothing's ever going to happen to the Scarecrow and Ozma's always going to be the queen. So, I mean, on some level, it's almost why, I mean, well, in my case, I just, I just create my own characters. So when they finally get there, I mean, maybe you know that Ozma's still going to be queen at the end of it, but you don't know if my characters are going to survive, so at least there's some suspension there. Well, I think it's almost essential in those cases because you need to have at least one person in that book that the reader isn't sure that they're going to make it through or they're not going to sure they're going to be okay in the end. I mean, if you use only the core characters, you know everything's going to get wrapped up in a bow. There's no doubt about it. Unless you do satire work. <laughs> well, yeah, and essentially, I mean, I almost am, but... <laughs> so, yeah, you... If, if you clearly from the get-go say that, hey, this isn't going to be canon, then, you know, then they can know that anything might occur. But then so many people just use that, that as an excuse to write crap. Yeah, the, well, the, they, uh, it is. It, it can get out of control. I mean, like all those weird, dark takes on Oz that I don't really enjoy all that much. I mean, like, ooh, Oz is a dark and scary place, and now everyone's dead or evil or... I mean, that, that stuff doesn't float my boat. I'm not saying that we have to, you know, kill characters left and right and make everything dark. I just, I like to see, as a writer, you'd like to see characters grow as characters and change. And, I mean, not even physically grow, but, I mean, as characters, you know, they need to learn and develop further personalities and change in their lives at some level. And most of the Oz characters just cannot do that because of the limitations that are placed upon the series. And I have no idea why I started talking about that, but... <laughs> what Oz book is really your favorite? Alright, well... Obviously, the answer I get when I'm just trying to screw with people is I say Wonder City, because I do love it, but no, it's, it's not really my favorite. Um, uh, my favorite Oz book... Uh... Ooh. You know, I'd have to go with a. All right. Uh, hmm. <laughs> I suppose everyone ends up with, like stumbling for this question for a little bit. But uh, all right. If I have to, first I'll cheat, and I'll, <laughs> I'll say that. Okay, my favorite Oz book overall is actually Paradox and Oz by Edward Einhorn. Oh, that's awesome. I love Paradox and Oz because it's just 
it, that is a book that really does go outside the box and it's crazy, but you can follow it and it stays true to the characters no matter what, but it's still, it's, it's a completely unique idea that hasn't been done in Oz before. And I love it. Uh, plus it has beautiful illustrations by Eric, but, uh, if we want to go just for the core books, uh, the, the FF as it were, um, you know, what? I'm going to cheat again. I'm going to say Sky Island because I consider it a Nas book, <laughs> even though it's not technically a Nas book. Sky Island's great. <laughs> well, it's 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 clearly you know, it is clearly canon. It's part of that story. They just they don't ever end up in Oz. Because <laughs> I mean, you have Polygram, you have Putt and Bright, you have Trot, who eventually ends up in Oz. So I mean, it's an Oz book and everything but name. So I'm going to say Sky Island. It's Oz. It's just that no one goes there in the story, and well. <laughs> Well, it's almost like Rinkitink in that way, isn't it, though? Yeah. Like, Rinkitink is barely, it is only in Oz because he tacked on a chapter to the end of it. <laughs> Sky Island could have been the Sky Island of Oz if he just wrote a chapter where Dorothy showed up out of nowhere and they had a party. I went to my first uh, wiki convention in 2010, and I, and I was talking with some fans, and one of them was like, what do you think about where I heard Rinkitink in Oz? And I'm like, it's a grid story ruined by Oz. <laughs> It really, it, it would have been a great, it would have been one of his be- absolute best books if he had released it in 1905 as King Rinkitink and just left it as it was. Yeah. But, but otherwise, yeah, the ending kills it dead. <laughs> because it's like, you have these characters, so they're strong characters, you know, you've been following this whole time, they've been fighting for themselves, and you know, just when it's time for them to finally, you know, have their ultimate heroic moment. Dorothy and the Wizards sweep in with their duex machina and ruin it all. Yeah. Like, hey, I know you're about to die, so here we are from Oz to save the day. Yes. They, they, they get a slow clap for that. I, I picture just Angus just like, wow, thanks. I could never have done this by myself with my three magic pearls of power. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, it, uh, it gave us Prince Bobo, though. It did, and you, you're, you're milking that cow. And uh, I love Rinkitink. But uh, um, if I didn't cheat, I mean, Sky Island is my favorite book in that canon. But if I didn't cheat, I'd, if a book, if it has to end with in Oz and be, you know, official, then probably Ozma. <laughs> Tie between Ozma and Land. Those are both really good ones. So. Yeah. Yeah, Prince Bobo got to be a fun character to work with once I decided, you know what, let's not have him the nice guy Bob says he is, let's make him a jerk. And you know, yeah, I did. I That is some stellar character development on your part. I mean, why would he suddenly be Mr. Nice Guy? I mean, he was a jerk as a donkey. I mean, I guess he made the excuse like, oh, while I was a donkey, I was, you know, I was supposed to be a jerk. But no, I mean, that's you. Embrace it, man. Be the jerk. <laughs> that's, that's, that's one problem with those books is that Every good guy has to be like this ultimate paragon, like I am good. You know, they have to be perfect. Even like the crotchety old guys from, you know, America. Like, I don't buy that those guys are perfect. I think, you know, like Cat and Bill probably like swears like a sailor and spits tobacco and. That's not around Trot. (laughs) Yeah, just not around Trot. I want to write the story where it's like uh, it's like all the old guys, like the Shaggy Man and the Wizard and Captain Bill, are like sitting around a table, like playing poker and like talking about chicks and smoking and whatnot and drinking whiskey. And like the Wizard's like, "This is magic whiskey I brought from Ev or something." I don't know, but like those are 
That would be fun. To see the idea is that it's just if every if every good guy in Oz is perfect and there's no conflict whatsoever among them, again, it's it's hard to tell a story that way. So, yeah. Um, have you read Jack Snow's Murder in Oz? I have, and that I do enjoy because it does at the be- at the beginning of that book there is a little bit of that, where like the where the where the shaggy man like has a pipe or something and the wizard's chilling with a glass of wine and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. That is an Oz I want to see more of. I know. I want to see the... There are just a bunch of adults in Oz, and you know they're not like... You know they don't act like that all the time, just when the kids are around. Yeah. But even on that level, I don't buy I mean, they can't really be kids. I mean, their brain develops at a certain point, right? I mean, they're like 100 years old. <laughs> yeah. It's like... Yeah, Dorothy, she might not have had certain things going on with her body, but her yeah. mind, yeah. Yeah, I mean, their mind is still aged. <laughs> I was, all, a lot of people are like, they don't, they're not big fans of that little murder on a short story, and I'm like, you know what, I can dig that, That's that can be in my canon. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Oz movies, do you have any, or other adaptations, do you have any favorites among those? Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I've, I've never seen any other movies other than the MGM and Return to Oz, which, again, I love as sort of a an underappreciated gem of the 80s. Well, those are the two kind of best ones, so... Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and I've never, I mean, I've seen glimpses of, like, other adaptions, and they just really don't float my boat. I mean, I don't know, if this something... They usually just don't work for me on some level, either the budget's too low, or they're trying too hard to be like the MGM movie, or, you know, things like that, just... Yeah. I, it just doesn't, they don't appeal to me on certain levels just because they're like I recognize where they're going with it I mean, when they hedge their bets and try to make things similar to the MGM movie because they know that's the one that's most ingrained in popular culture but I don't know I just I, they end up with some weird mishmash of the books in that movie and it just doesn't work for me yeah that does kind of sum up most of everything else but uh i mean i do i love the mgm movie to death i love it. it's one of my favorite movies of all time but uh nothing else just seems to match up to it on some level everyone seems to be trying to match up to it but it doesn't although i have uh very high hopes for uh the new ones coming up about the wizard oh i can't remember the name of it now oz the great and powerful yes oz the great and terrible i can't wait for that movie and not the least of which because I love Sam Raimi, but just because I think that's it's it's a great concept for a movie. I think that uh, I mean with Sam Raimi at the helm, and obviously not aiming it at children so much, it's probably going to be like a PG PG movie. I can see where you know if you had this uh, American huckster dropping into Oz, I always thought that was a great story to have a to have a Midwestern con man show up and to see how that works because. People don't think about that often, but the wizard was kind of a tool, <laughs> and I want to see that in, in in motion. I've always had my thoughts about the wizard, and I kind of consider him like my uh, one of my favorite characters. He really is one of my favorites too, just because I mean, he is. I mean, later books made him a total wuss, but early on, you got you did get this very real sense that you know he was an adult from America. He wasn't always necessarily the best guy. Sometimes he lied. Sometimes he cheated to get what he wanted to. Uh, oh, yeah. And it made him actually a much more realistic character. And 
for that actually made him more likable and relatable because you're like, you know what? I get this guy. I mean, if I was dropped in the middle of this land and people started worshiping him as a god, you know, I would go along for the ride and uh, maybe not end up being such a great guy in the process. And uh, that makes him a great character. I mean, as the books went on, obviously he just became, you know, hey, he's the wizard. He's the greatest man that ever lived and the even you know, retconned all the bad stuff he did in the past away, but, uh... Yeah, there's that whole mess with Mombi. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what? Fine, you know, he saw the baby there, he's like, oh, crap, I want to rule Oz, so he, you know, passed the baby away. I get it. I mean, it's a, it was a huge mistake, but I don't think it should be written out of canon, I mean, because it makes him a more interesting character if he's got some kind of uh, darkness in his past that he has to find redemption for, on some level. Thing is, though, is that, uh... Ozma just says that Mombi took her. We just don't know how exactly she got her. So I always cons- so I recently looked at her again, and I'm like, you know, these two don't exactly contradict each other. So that's, some things mm. aren't being said here. It's kind of squicky, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I yeah, I, I can't wait to see that movie. I'm pretty sure it probably won't touch in the Ozma stuff in that book and that movie just because it confused people. Yeah. But I do want to I do want to see how uh that wizard pulls the wool over people's eyes. And uh, like I said, I mean, I love Sam Raimi. I mean, you've got to like the, the man that gave us army of darkness, making a Nas movie. I mean, I can get, I can get behind that. Yeah. Yeah. People have said, ah, I could only see Tim Burton doing this. I'm like, no, I don't want to see Tim Burton do uh, do that. No, Tim Burton's bad now, guys. (laughs) Yeah. I I saw his Alice in Wonderland. I was just like, what? No. (laughs) To the Tim Burton of the 21st century just like makes acid trips of movies that have really their stories don't hang together at all. He's just trying to do as crazy imagery as he can. I mean, he was a brilliant, brilliant storyteller back in you know, the 80s and some of the 90s, but uh, but he went off the deep end hard. <laughs> yeah. Sam Raimi's actually a really good filmmaker. I mean, aside from you know the schlock horror like Evil Dead and Army of Darkness, I mean, he did like you know a simple plan and. He did the the Spider-Man movies, and the first one not that great, and the third one really bad. But Spider-Man Two is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I really don't think it's the people you'd exactly think of who always do the uh, who would do the best job on eyes, really. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, as a concept, it sounds really well, and I mean, it has a good cast, and Sam Raimi actually is a great director most of the time. So, yeah, I mean, see what happens. So, what other? Uh, things inspire you outside of Oz? <laughs> well, I mean, obviously I've got a, I mean, I got that degree in English. I mean, I read, I read constantly. I always have since I was a, since I was a kid, I've always been a reader and I've always tried to, uh, prove that old argument wrong. I mean, like as I was growing up, as, as of that generation where they're like, Oh, they're just going to sit in front of the TV all day and get fat and play video games. I'm like, you know what? I watched a ton of TV and I played a lot of video games, but I still read a ton of books. So, People that keep complaining about that kind of stuff are just full of crap. Because if a kid wants to read a book, the kid's going to read a book. Uh, so, I mean, I read constantly all sorts of stuff. I mean, I got obsessed with uh, Sherlock Holmes for a while. And Mark Twain is one of my favorite authors. And then, I mean, grew up reading things like uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and those books. And uh, But, I mean, other than books, I mean, I read comics all the time. I watch TV all the time. I saw movies all the time. I mean, 
I'm just a, a pop culture sponge, really. And I, th- I think that's fairly clear if you read something like Litbrick, where it's like references to literally everything in the middle of my book comic. Yeah. Uh, what kind of comics did you read when you were a kid? Um, just uh, comics when I was a kid is mostly just the generic superhero stuff. I mean, I read a lot of uh, Spider-Man was always my favorite. But I didn't get really hardcore into comics until I was like in high school. At which point I discover I went more off the beaten path and I discovered the things like the the darker Batman books, like the ones written by Frank Miller, or, uh, the Long Halloween by Jeff Loeb, and or I found a uh, I really love one is I, I discovered in high school was Howard the Duck and it's one of my favorite comic series ever and people only remember the terrible terrible movie that's nothing like the original comic books but. The original comics from the 70s were like this brilliant example of just this dark satire. And you have Howard the Duck is friends with, you know, uh, the man thing. And uh, he hangs out with Spider-Man sometimes and <laughs> and is genius. And But uh, later on, as I was going through college, is when I found the works of uh, Carl Barks and Don Rosa on the Uncle Scrooge and Donald Duck comics. Yes! <laughs> and those are... Quite frankly, I mean, some of the best comics ever, that have ever been written. Uh, uh, Uncle, I mean, people ask me. Uh, I read an interview once in Wizard Magazine where uh, they asked Paul Dini, uh, one of the writers of Batman the Animated Series and stuff, and uh, they asked him, "What's your favorite superhero?" And he said, "My favorite superhero is Uncle Scrooge." And I'm like, "That is totally my answer because he's my he's my he's the absolute greatest comic book hero." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and he's and. You know, he's not the perfect guy either. No, he's he he's not perfect, but he comes through when it counts. Yeah. And he's and he uh I mean, he can be a jerk to people, but he's usually right. And uh he lives by strict principles that I think, you know, he that most people could uh could learn a little bit. I mean, uh he made all his money square. He got out by being tougher than the toughies and smarter than the smarties, and he made it square. Yeah. So I mean more people could learn by that. I mean, just he—he's all about hard work and not cheating to get ahead. And uh, plus, you know, he's the prototypical Indiana Jones. You know, goes on his globe-trotting adventures, yeah, which is always fun. But uh, I mean, and people the when they watch Ducktales. I mean, obviously, I grew up watching Ducktales. I love Ducktales, but I mean, it's only like it's only half the picture. I mean, it's uh, if you only know Scrooge McDuck from that, you don't really know Scrooge McDuck. My dad had had tons of Disney Duck comics, and we just read yeah. over those over and over. Uh, yeah, I never had them growing up. I didn't find them until later. On some level, I mean, I would have loved them as a kid, but I think on some level I like them more as an adult just because, I mean, there are things to understand. I mean, and uh, just I can see, I can appreciate the art on a whole other level. I can appreciate his writing on a whole other level. So, I mean, it's better that way sometimes. But I didn't see it. other comics I read. I mean, I read a lot of Star Wars comics. Uh, I read a lot of Madman, um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Sam and Max. Uh, now I'm just rambling, listing things that are on my bookshelf right now. Fables I love. Uh, and that's for comics. I mean, otherwise, I think uh, my youth was dominated by Star Wars for some reason. I love Star Wars. Loved it. And then the prequels came out and it kind of ruined it for me. <laughs> And now I love it again if I just ignore most of those. <laughs> well, don't go see them in 3D. <laughs> I wasn't planning on it now, mostly because I hate 3D anyway. But 
I tend to avoid it. I only I, I only went to see Tintin in 3D because that was the only good showing that I could actually catch. That was actually the only reason I saw Tintin in 3D too. It was like my friend was like, "You want to see Tintin?" I was like, "Yes, I love. I want to see Tintin so bad." And uh, it was like the only showing was in 3D. I was like, "Damn!" I, like I had to think about it really hard because I mean, I after a certain point you don't even notice it's in 3D anymore, and then you just have these annoying glasses on your eyes that are making everything darker. Yeah. Like, why do I want to watch sunglasses while I watch a movie? Yeah. That was it with Tintin is that 3D wasn't, it wasn't out there. Yeah. And I mean, it, at some point it just distracts me. I mean, not the 3D effects itself. But I mean, I get really uncomfortable with those things on my eyes after a certain, like I could have them for half an hour, at which point I'm like, I really got to take these off. And so, I mean, I'll end up watching a 3D movie just like kind of blurry without the glasses for a while, just because it's easier on my eyes. <laughs> I was sitting in the theater with them over my regular classes thinking, this is really terrible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a great movie, but I was like, so distracted. I was like, oh, man, I hate these things. I've never really liked 3D. I mean, if you go and I go to see Avatar and I'm sitting there and everyone's like, ooh, oh, and I'm like, man, not only does this movie suck, but I really hate these glasses. <laughs> and you get out of the theater and like everyone's like, oh, did you see how amazing that looked? And look at the 3D. I'm like, yeah, it's still blue. Yeah, my dad was like, oh, the CGI is getting so much better. I'm like, it's still CGI, Dad. I'm like, <laughs> I don't care if it's CGI. I mean, fine, it looks great. <laughs> but I mean, that's just, that, it had no story. <laughs> it was Dances with Wolves at the Rainforest with blue guys. <laughs> okay, I have lived with people who actually own copies, but I have never watched it myself. Ah, well, your mileage may vary. So, I was, And I've just never been too interested to put it in, so. It's, it's. I don't know. I mean, it's weird, but I mean, I'm not. It's weird since growing up. I mean, I loved Star Wars so much. I mean, I had like 50 novels on my shelf. And I mean, I love the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I mean, shaped so much of what my sense of humor is today. And I mean, I love Star Trek and stuff. But I mean, uh, I've never been a big fan of science fiction just as a genre. Like every time I tried to read some other form of science fiction or watch a sci-fi movie, I inevitably just don't care that much. So I think that may have been part of my problem with Avatar is that I just don't like sci-fi that much, which is strange as I watched so much of it growing up. Yeah, I, th- I think sci-fi is really a give and take. There's things you, l- you like and things you don't like. Yeah. It's like, you mentioned Star Wars, and well, I didn't see him as a kid, and then when I did see him as an adult, I watched the very first one, A New Hope. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Second, third one, I was like, oh... Uh, Oh, okay. Now <laughs> I was actually thinking, I'm supposed to take this world seriously now? <laughs> well, uh, Empire Strikes Back is like a work of art, but yeah, Return of the Jedi kind of goes off the rails with the crazy teddy bears. Yeah, I, I, I can get, I can see what people like it. I'm just like, yeah, you can have it. <laughs> yeah, but then, uh, I mean, I know you're a Doctor Who, Who fan, and if people like watch you know like old doctor who they're like this is crap what do you see in this thing <laughs> so i mean it's all in the eye of the beholder yeah well i start with the new ones so it's pretty much like oh this is where the old one got started yeah although sometimes yeah i do watch an old one i'm like yeah <laughs> yeah move move <laughs> yeah it's, it's, the pacing is really off in those episodes in those old ones yeah. where it's like if you watch especially if you watch like the old uh the black and white ones, like the William Hartnell episodes and whatnot. Uh, there'll be like stories that are like eight episodes long. And you're like, you know what? This would have been better if it was like four episodes long. And you just cut all these people running back and forth. Yeah. I once asked, 
How many how many Doctor Who plots would be solved very quickly where if the Doctor just got everyone in the TARDIS and got out of there? Just leave. Yeah. Everyone ev- <laughs> answer every single one. But where's the fun in that? Yeah. Well, that's the thing with telling stories is that you might have an easy out where, like, with Oz, there's the magic belt or the magic picture. Which just totally breaks the stories. <laughs> when you're a storyteller, you're like, oh, this isn't such a good thing to work with. That is, you know, and that is just one of the, I mean, obviously I point out, I mean, I hate that, how it's, you know, in those Oz books, how not only as an author, you have to make sure everything's the status quo by the end of it, but then you do have those crazy, you know, logic gaps where like, okay, if someone's about to get hurt, why don't they just use the magic belt, you know? Why don't they just do this, do that? And so you always have to, I mean, most authors just go ahead and ignore the fact that those things exist. Or they, you know, they use them, but they make up new rules for them. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh... Bomb that himself. Yeah, I mean, what was it? Lost Princess, where Dorothy's like, I can only use this once per day. <laughs> Like, where did that rule come from? (laughs) I can make a witch with it once per day, so apparently it can... Apparently it can do transformations, but, like, granting wishes... But those don't count as wishes for some reason. (laughs) We see it, we're we're looking at it from, you know, our crazy adult point of view, where we're, like, looking for, you know, overarching plots and continuity and character building and... uh, Yeah, when you're a kid, you're just like, oh, it's a great story! But yeah, ultimately, when you're a kid, you do not care. I mean, I didn't care about that. I read those books, you know, at least I read each one at least like ten times all the way up until high school. I never noticed things like that. But uh, and it was only until later, like, why they could just use the magic belt to do that? Why does the magic belt do this now? Hey, wait a second. <laughs> if you're plotting that as a series from the very beginning, well, after you've introduced the magic belt, and you know, she gets it in Ozma, and uh. She uses it, obviously, to defeat the bad guy. She steals it from the Gnome King, who obviously can't have something that powerful. But then at the end of that story, if you're writing a, just a slightly more uh, cohesive ending, then you say, you know, now we must lock this away for all time so no one else can use it for wrong again. You have, like, Glenda banish it to somewhere. or You'd be gone with it, tie a bunch of chains around it, toss it in a lake. Like what happened with the Silver Shoes. Exactly. I mean... Bomb got it at that point. He's like, she can't take these crazy wishing stews all the way back to America. So, you know, you get rid of them. Yeah, when I was on my Oz story, I, uh, part of it f- focuses on Ozma. Part of it's with the wizard. So I have two alternating plots there. So I had Ozma leave the magic belt at home, but uh, she has her fairy wand with her. So I had to, like, pull out stuff and say, okay, yeah. <laughs> she can't just whip it out and change the situation. Yeah, you kind of uh, you kind of have to try to work like, who knows what that fairy wand really does? I mean, just random things depending on what book it is. Huh. I think you kind of have to treat it like Gandalf's staff, where like if you read those books or you like you watch the movies, you know what Gandalf's staff really does? It like turns into a giant flashlight and it breaks rocks. And I mean, and that's pretty much uh, that's what I think about with Osmus fairy wand. It doesn't really do a whole lot. It just looks cool and it can light the shadows. <laughs> Gandalf's staff was like. Uh, wait, did he shoot fire from that thing? <laughs> we got, we're in the, this little chamber. We got all the he's toys coming for us. To be, he finally was just fine with my staff. Yeah, to be honest, Gandalf's really kind of a rubbish wizard. But I mean, at least that makes him, you know, as a character, <laughs> it makes him a little easier to deal with as a storyteller. Right. Whereas, like, you have Ozma and her magic wand. You have no idea what that thing can actually do at any given point. 
Yeah. Like in, is it, uh, it's in Ten Wizardmen where all of a sudden she's like this great wizard that mixes up potions and stuff. <laughs> yeah, she's suddenly <laughs> able to restore the Ten Woodman and his friends to yeah, have their like, proper forms. Yeah, it's like, oh, by the way, I'm descended from a long line of fairy princesses that I didn't mention until just now. We're all magical, and I can do this. And then there's also Polychrome there, pulling out. It's only doing magic. Yeah, it's like, like, don't you just kind of dance and look pretty? <laughs> That's what she did in Road. I just like to think that, you know, someone between TikTok of Oz and Tin Woodman, she was like, okay, you know what? If I'm warming up on Earth and get in danger, I need to learn something. I like it, well, in Sky Island where she's, like, a lawyer. Where yeah. she's, like, polychrome attorney at law. And I'm like, I'm, I like that polychrome where she's like, you know what, I don't want to have magic, but I got smarts. <laughs> like, I can think my way out of this problem. I got my degree from the rainbow. <laughs> yeah, I would describe it as polychrome shows up to dispense legal advice. It's great. <laughs> hey. It's weird, but it works. At least that's at least that's a new take on something. I mean, how many how many lawyers are in Oz? Honestly, <laughs> I suppose I never need a lawyer in Oz because you know, unless every once in a while Ozma likes to hold her fake trials for atrocities. Yeah, see, the only two people I remember being on trial in Bombs Brooks, Ojo and Eureka. <laughs> yes, and they're both for completely ridiculous things with like completely like trials that would get thrown out of court anywhere else. <laughs> Eureka ate my kitten. Yeah. Circumstantial evidence. You ate, yes. An animal ate another animal. You must be put to death. <laughs> well, that's the weird, weird thing about Oz is that uh, it's like you have all these animals talking, so if you have predators and their prey, then now we suddenly, now this suddenly takes it to a moral standpoint where, wait a minute, how can they just go about eating each other? Right. And it's the kind of thing that. I mean, initially in The Wizard of Oz, you know, they say that the lion went off into the forest to get his own lunch and no one really talks about it. They're like, and we never asked him where he got it. I think in Ozma, he's like, I got to work with this thing. So he introduces the hungry tiger. That's like, I can't eat anything because everyone's alive. And that's just cruel. <laughs> the thing is, I think that cowardly lion's cowardice and the hungry tiger's hunger is actually just self-inflicted. I like to think that in the darker areas of Oz, in the forests, Whereas all the animals, you know, being animals, just eating each other, even though they still talk. Hi, what's up? Oh, not cool, man. Not cool. <laughs> Oz does get fun to think about how things would work. Sometimes, well, you, sometimes you come up with a good story if you think about it. Yeah. Well, it can't just work out like in The Lion King, where they're like, yeah, we eat each other, but, you know, it's a circle of life. You know, eventually they'll eat us, too. Yeah. That could work in Oz. Just deal with it. Except no one dies. <laughs> yeah. So I, again, big problem with that. But it is what it is. Yeah. I'll go ahead and plug my content. Uh, everyone can check out my new comic at uh, maryelizabethsock.com. Or if they want specifically Oz-related content, they can go over to delusionarystate.com. And more infrequently updated, but uh, maybe more up their alley. I heard there's links to your other works on there, too, so... And that is definitely going to be updated soon. I remember I'm going to, uh, I've kind of got a backlog of uh, Mary Elizabeth's uh, sock comics kind of built up. I mean, that comic will update to March without me doing anything. So I'm going to go ahead and probably take a week off from that and work just on Delusionary State so I can get some updates because it's been a while. I love what you did with Watchdog of Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. 
Uh, he, he, he's crazy, and I'm pretty sure he's going to be back, even though he's a giant boulder now. <laughs> okay, well, I'm reading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much. All right, thanks. Have a good one.